Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we're helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all, or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can go to mynsc.org happenings. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout the week. And now, check out this week's sermon. Are you ready to study the Word of God, yes or no? Yes. Get your sermon notes out. We're going to do that. We're in uh, John chapter 15, doing a very short series called This is Love. It's just a two-week series uh, today and the next Sunday, and I'll break that down for you. You're going to be so encouraged in the Lord today. And I, I want to remind you before we get into the Word of God that over the next few weeks, of course, high probability that, that those people you invite uh, will actually come to church with you, especially on Easter Sunday. So use those cards and invite everybody. And I want to remind you that as soon as you get out of your car, and this isn't just for the next couple of weeks, but really uh, forever until, the, until Jesus comes back again, that, that when, we, when we come together, we're a family and we're meant to serve one another and love one another. Remember a few weeks ago, we said Jesus was going, uh, he was traveling and he went through Samaria and he, he encountered the woman at the well. And the guys, the disciples went into the city and they, they were looking for, uh, you know, food. And they come back and they see Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. And they're saying, well, boy, has he eaten? I don't know. I don't know. Where would he get some food if he didn't get it from us? And Jesus, aren't you hungry? Don't you want to eat? And Jesus kind of was, you know, in the moment, he wasn't concerned about the meal. He was actually concerned about his mission. You guys remember that? And so, so instead of, it, when, when you come here on Sundays, uh, I, I just want to reiterate, you're you need to come here with a mission in mind. Of course, when you come to the sanctuary, we're going to feed you. So put that napkin on and, and eat up. You're going to enjoy the word of God today. But, but when, you, when you arrive before you enter in this place and you're just out in the lobby or out in the parking lot or after church is over with, take that napkin off and remember, drape it over your arm like, like a, a waiter or waitress does. And just serve somebody. Just love, love people. Remember, when you, when you come to New Song, it's not just about the meal. It's about the mission. We're here to be here for one another, encourage one another, strengthen one another. There should be loads of laughters and high fives and hugs and, hey, how you doing? And you know what I'm saying? Lots of smiles. And look for the people that, that look lost. Look for the people who, who are kind of looking around and you say, oh, first timer. Go to them. Take them on a tour. You know, introduce yourself. Let's just be the church that God has called us to be. Can I get an amen to that, everybody? So remember, a lot of people are concerned about the meal and here at New Song, we're, we're, we love the meal, but we have a mission. We have a mission, and it's to, make, it's to make people so welcome in the house of God so that they experience the life-changing grace and the power of Jesus Christ. And so we've already had everybody this morning, we already had four people accept Jesus as Savior just this very morning. Isn't that cool? So God is just doing something powerful. Uh, so, so get ready. Hang on. It's going to be a great ride this morning. John chapter 15. We're going to talk about joy and how to experience joy in your life, and I'm going to show you how it relates to love in just a second, but I'm going to quote John Piper, uh, one of my favorite uh, pastors, teachers. I don't always agree with him theologically, but uh, I'll tell you, he is one of my favorites, and he says it this way, everybody, that Christianity is a divine project of replacing inferior joys in inferior objects with superior joys in God himself. So it's the, what he's saying is it's the project of when, when instead of pursuing the things that you used to pursue for temporary happiness, you actually pursue God who will make you eternally joyful. That's what he's saying. And let, let me say it this way. That, that in fact, it's another quote from, um, from John Piper who's, who said it this way. 
He said, we often pursue such pitiful pleasures. Isn't it the truth? That, that we think there are these things in life that are, boy, if I just had this, it's going to make me happy. If I had this, it was, it's really going to make me happy. You know that car that you just had to have because it was really going to bring joy to your life? Like six months later, french fries are everywhere in the floorboard and you don't care. Because it's not, it, you know that outfit that you just had to have? I just got to have this outfit. And after about six months, you're looking in your closet saying, you know what? I don't have anything to wear. I, I got nothing. How many know what I'm talking about? That there's a difference between temporary happiness and really eternal joys. And Jesus here is, is really about to go to the cross. He's having this final conversation with his disciples. And it's so interesting to me that one of the things that he tells his disciples before he goes to the cross and obviously is raised to new life. So just right before what we would call Resurrection Sunday, Jesus is teaching his disciples and saying, hey, by the way, I want you to live a joy-filled life. And he shows us this in John chapter 15. Of course, these are the words of Jesus. So in your sermon notes, you're going to see that they're in red. Luke, I'm sorry, John 15, verse 9. It says, as the Father has loved me, Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. Here it is. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And you might want to highlight that word complete. We're going to come back to it in a second. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. He's saying this is love, to lay down your life for someone else. Isn't that powerful? How many knows Jesus showed us what love is all about? He laid down his life for us. Amen? Amen. He said, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So before I go any further, I'm going to break down this last verse that we just read. Verse 15, he says, one of, one of the proofs that we're, that we're in a friendly relationship, that we are, that you are my friends and not just followers, he said is this way, is that I actually, I've revealed the secrets or the intimate things of God to you. Watch what he says again. He says, instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Like, I didn't hide it. I, I actually, I took these, these mysteries that the prophet's prophesied about, and I've revealed these things to you because I want you to know that we're in a very special relationship. You're just not servants. You're actually friends. That's why we used to sing that song called, I am a friend of God, because as followers of Christ, did you know that, that if you are a follower of Christ, that, that we are, of course, we're servants of the Lord, but we are friends of God. We are friends of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he considers you his friend. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. And you're saying, but I don't deserve to be his friend. That's grace. That's grace. That's the love of God. Absolutely amazing. And I'm going to break this down to you. Really, the first three verses that we read today in John chapter 15, that, that he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And he's speaking to his followers. He's speaking to his disciples. So how many of you in this room are followers, I mean, you, you can say, I am a follower 
of Jesus Christ, and I'm totally not ashamed about that. I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Raise your hand really high. Okay, so it's as if Jesus is speaking to you, and he's saying, the very way my Father has loved me, I love you. Write this down, letter A, that God loves you as much as God loves Jesus, that God loves me as much as God loves Jesus. You say, well, that, well, that, that can't be true because Jesus was God's son and he was perfect and I, I am certainly not perfect. There's no way that God would love me this, to the same extent, to the same level that he loves Jesus. And Jesus actually said it himself. He says, hey guys, you need to know something. I'm, a, I'm about to reveal something to you that is so powerful. In fact, it's something that most people don't know. That the same love that God has for me is the same love that I have for you and that God has for you. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He said, me and the Father, we're actually one. Like Jesus, Emmanuel, at Christmas time, we sing Emmanuel, God with us, right? So Jesus is God, was God in human form when he walked this earth. And he's saying, no, no, no. To the same level that God the Father loves me, I love you. New song, you need to know that. That God loves you with an everlasting love. That his love for you can never increase. It's a perfect love, meaning it has no potential of increasing because it is infinite. And by the way, it cannot decrease because love is not just what God does. It's actually who he is. God's love is eternal. It is everlasting. It can never be weaker than it is. And, by, and it is so beautiful and so perfect and so strong that it could never be stronger than it is. He absolutely loves you. Absolutely loves you. And then we see something else because Jesus goes on a little bit further. In verse 10, he says, if you keep my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And what we're talking about when it says remain, other versions use this word abide, to abide in the love of Jesus. And I want to teach you this. And it would just be remiss of me not to do this. Letter B, that authentic Christianity is actually connected to obedience. Authentic Christianity, true Christianity, is always connected to obedience. Let me say it this way, that, that we are saved by grace, through faith, not of works, so that you and I cannot boast about it. It's all about the goodness of Jesus and not your goodness, right? And yet, he says it this way. He says, but, but listen, it's pretty important. The proof of your love is actually obedience. That obedience is connected to your love for Christ. And a lot of people say, well, well, well pastor, that doesn't make sense. If I'm saved by grace through faith and not of works then why would Jesus talk about obedience to his commands and me loving him? That doesn't make sense. Let, let me explain it to you. That if you've truly accepted Christ, that the very thing that separated you from God before you knew Jesus was your sin. Sin separates us from God. All of a sudden, you come to Christ, and you're made a new creation. The, old, the Bible says the old is gone, and the new has come. Therefore, what you used to, to do and who you used to, to be is, not, is no longer who you want to be. The very thing that separated you from God is something that now grieves your heart because you realize it kept you from a loving, life-giving relationship with your Father, so you don't want to have anything to do with it. And this is so interesting 
that the Bible says that there are these people that are going to say, uh, that, that, that Jesus is going to look at them and say, I never knew you, and they're going to reply back, but, but Jesus, we did all of these things. We, in fact, we not only did these good things, but we did them in your name. And he said, even though you, you, you said my name, you actually never followed through with that. Hi there. <laughs> you never followed through with it. You, 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 you knew me, but you weren't in relationship with me. But Lord, Lord, we did all of these things in your name. And he says, yeah, but you never knew me. You never truly surrendered to me. You put on a good show, but you based your relationship on works and not on grace. And yet at the, at the same point, this is so interesting. That at, so, so you say, okay, well, Christians have to be perfect. Well, this is so interesting that when people come to Christ and they say, I am a sinner in need of a savior, Jesus, would you save me? He always says yes, always. The Bible says every single person who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that powerful? But a lot of people bring some baggage into their relationship with God. They bring their past into their relationship with God. And then they struggle with the sin issue. But the, the, the deal is, it takes a long time for God. To, it's, the, it's called sanctification is a theological word. It takes a while for God to sanctify us or to continually pour the, or pull those things out of our life that do not glorify him, nor do they benefit us. That we bring this, sometimes we bring, the, in fact, we bring this baggage into our relationship with God. And God says, that's okay. I know you cannot clean up yourself. Let me clean you. So you, you say, well, well, pastor, so there, so there are some really messy people who are Christians. Yes. And there are some people who have their lives together that we think have their lives together that are not actually Christians at all. And the answer to that is yes. Well, how am I supposed to know who's a Christian and who's not? You don't get to, you don't get to make that call. Only God makes that call. Right? God judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So your response is your responsibility. Your response to the grace of God is your responsibility, right? So, so let me ask you a question. If you're a true follower of Christ, you have gotten to this place in your life where you're saying, I know my sin is separated me from God, and my sin, it drives me crazy. I don't like it. Like when, when I sin, it, it grieves my heart because it's the very thing that kept me from a relationship with God. And I don't want to do that anymore. And I would look at you and say, that is proof of your Christianity. But if there is sin in your life and it doesn't bother you, that, that you say you're a Christian, but actually your life reflects your sinful nature instead of aligning itself with the word of God, I would look at you and say, I don't know if you're a Christian or not. Like, that's up to God to determine that. How many know, as Christ followers, sin should bother us, right? Okay, I'm, I'm not a mistaker before I came to Christ. I was a sinner. <laughs> I had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God saved me from my sin, and now I'm called a saint. Did you know that? And if you're a Christ follower, you are too. Sometimes I don't act very saintly. And I don't like it, which is actually proof that I'm a saint because the Holy Spirit is at work in me, right? You get this, everybody? So, so it's, it's an amazing thing. Some people look like they're Christians and aren't. Some people don't look like they're Christians, and they are. And you're not the one to make that call. 
We're just meant to love and encourage and build each other up, and we have to take responsibility for us, right? For our relationship with God. Okay, so authentic Christianity is always connected to obedience. It always is. It does not mean you'll be perfect. But I'm going to tell you this, everybody. I'm not perfect. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's making me better and better. I'm growing. I'm changing. Uh, I, I, I'm telling you, God is still working in all of our lives as followers of Christ. And to that, we say a very big thank you to the, to the Holy Spirit and to our Heavenly Father through Jesus. Can I get an amen to that, everybody? Then let her see, Jesus proves his love for me by longing to see his joy in me. This is so powerful. And this is the main, this is the main thing I'm going to talk about today, that the Lord really put this on my heart, that Jesus proves his love for me by longing to see his joy in me. Where do I see that in scripture? Right here in verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy is actually complete. Like Jesus is having a final conversation with disciples and saying, I want you to experience life and life to the full. I want you to have a joy that is absolutely complete. And the word for that, the word for that in the Greek is uh, pleroo, and it means uh, to fill up, to abound, or to liberally supply. So the joy that's in your life is liberally, it's liberally supplied. It's liberally given to you. It's an abundance of joy. And if that's the case, why don't Christians act joyful? Why don't they feel this ongoing joy in their life? How do, why do we struggle with joy? If Jesus says, my, my goal is that you live a joy-filled life, like more than enough joy, an ample supply of joy, how come Christians don't live a joy-filled life? And I'm going to show you why this morning. And the answer might surprise you. In fact, some of you are going to say, well, I wish it was different. Because joy is a choice. It's not just a gift. It is a gift. But it's also a choice. It's something that you have to choose. And I'm going to prove that to you today. In scripture. So number one, write this down, that true joy is the will of God. Jesus said it himself, that I have a plan for you, and my plan is that you experience the fullness of joy that you're meant to experience. That true joy is the will of God for all of our lives. It's the will of God. Can I tell you something? True joy is the will of God for every single person in the earth. It really is. He wants every person to discover the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to accept the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, become followers of Christ, and experience the joy that he, has, that he has planned for them, but they just have to say yes to Jesus. It's the will of God for all of us to experience true joy. The second thing is, though, true joy is found in God and not just from God. And I have to explain this. Because a lot of people, you know, you will cry out, Lord, I just want some joy. I don't have any peace in my life. I don't have any hope. I'm, I'm really discouraged. God, give me your joy. Can I tell you something? That joy is not only from God, but it's actually, first of all, found in God. It's found in God before it's found from God. Let, let me explain this. That as sin produces, as a follower of Christ, sin should produce some level of grief in your life. So as sin produces grief, forgiveness produces joy. So when I sin against God and I don't like it and I try not to, I mean, I, I live my life, I try to live my life as a man of integrity, 
and every now and then, I, the, every now and then we can be stupid, right? Right? Am I the only one? Come on. I, I'll, I'll raise my hand all by myself. I have no trouble admitting it. Sometimes I'm stupid. Sometimes I'm stupid. And sometimes I sin, but, but, and it causes grief in me. I don't want to sin against God. I've been delivered from sin. I've been set free from sin. I don't want to give in to that, and so it grieves me. But, but the very fact that it grieves me is proof that I've been saved by grace through faith. See, the very fact that it bothers me that I, that I sinned against God, it grieves me. It actually produces joy in my life because I know I'm forgiven. You're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Sure it does. It makes all the sense in the world. That no, I, my sin separated me from God. God delivered me from sin through his son Jesus and my trusting in him. And now when I sin, I'm grieved because I, I don't want to go back to that old way of life without God. Amen. I don't want to do that. No, I, I, I'm, I'm troubled by sin in my life. And because I'm troubled, it affirms the fact that I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus to which I say, Father, I'm sorry that I sinned. I don't like it that I sinned. But I thank you that my sins are forgiven, that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that my eternity is secure, that I've been saved from my past sins, my present sins, my future sins. I don't know what I'll do tomorrow. I hope I never sin against you. But I thank you that your blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, covers, has washed me clean from all of my sins. Thank you, Father, for forgiving me. See, it produces joy in my life. That I'm not the man I used to be, everybody. I'm not the man I used to be. Because of the grace and the power of God, I'm not the man I used to be. And boy, what joy comes out of that. So as, as, as sin produces grief, forgiveness produces joy. So forgiveness is found in God, therefore joy is found in God, and that's the starting place. So before you ask for joy from God, you need to be found in God. Before you, before you ask for joy from Jesus, you need to be found in Jesus. That's the starting place. And then after that, he will, he will continually supply joy to your life if you allow him and if you choose it. And I'm going to show you that. So true joy is found in God and not just from God. True joy, number three, is the fruit of a right relationship with God. So true joy is the fruit of a right relationship with God. Let me say it this way. That joy cannot be secured outside of God. Not true joy. You can get some temporary happiness. The Bible, you know, the Bible talks about sin and it makes an admission. You might not know this, but the, 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 even the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a little while. For a moment, it's pleasurable, but it actually, in the end, the wages of sin is death. So sin produces destruction and death in your life. It's not meant for you. God doesn't want you to live that type of life. So, so a lot of times we, we have spent many, many of us have spent years looking for, you know, pleasure, but from very sinful things, only to realize that that wasn't what true joy is all about, that it never really satisfied. And that's why John Piper says it this way, that we often pursue such pitiful pleasures, pleasures that are just temporary, they don't really satisfy but true joy is the fruit of a right relationship with God so my joy is in direct proportion to my walk with God 
And I wrote down another way of saying that same thing, that the more I walk with God, the greater the joy that I possess. Because it is a fruit, it is the fruit of a right relationship with God. So joy is found in God, but it also comes from God. It's found in God, but it also comes from God. So as I pursue God, as I build my relationship with God, so joy grows and grows and grows in my life. The more I get to know him, the more joy I have in my life. So let me show you, let me show you how this works. In fact, number four, write this down, that joy is actually attached to knowing God's nature. That's what I'm talking about. That the more you understand God and get to know God through prayer and through worship and through the word of God and the promises of God, the more that you grow in your relationship with God, the more joy is going to grow in you. It has no other option. Why? Because you get to know the character and the nature of God. You get to know his mercy and his grace and his love and his kindness and his compassion and his faithfulness and his justice and his deliverance and his healing and his provision. And I could go on and on, but you get the case. The more that you love God and know God and build a relationship with, the, with our Heavenly Father, the more that he's going to reveal his nature, his character, his power, his goodness to your life. And when you experience those things, joy is going to come out of it. Joy is going to come out of it. And in fact, I'm going to show you a portion of scripture in Philippians that, that many of you uh, grew up in Sunday school hearing, or you've, you've most, I'd say 80, 90% of you have heard this verse at some point. And Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he happens to be on death row. He's in a dungeon. He's in a prison cell. He's not eating very well. People are constantly, the, the soldiers are coming in and they're harassing him. And they're, they're like, hey, you never know. It might be today. We might kill you today. Oh, you never know. You might be killed tomorrow. I mean, he's just being harassed and, and he's on death row. And he writes one of the most famous verses in all of scripture. It's Philippians 4, 4. And he says it this way, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. You're like, how can a guy in that circumstance tell the church at Philippi, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again, rejoice. And I would tell you that even if you grew up in Sunday school, you probably don't know what that verse actually means. If you might be going to church your whole life and you probably don't know what that verse actually means. And the key word there that he, he uses twice is rejoice, rejoice. Well, the, the, the Greek word for that word rejoice is kairo, and it means, watch this, to be aware of God's grace, to be cognizant of God's grace. This is what Paul is saying to the church at Philippi. This is what he's saying to us today. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. He's saying, new song, be aware of the grace of God. Be aware of the nature of God. I'm going to say it again. Be cognizant. Be aware of God's very nature. Be aware of his grace and his mercy and his power and his love and his deliverance and of his provision and of his healing. Be aware of it. And what, will that, what do you think that will produce in your life? Joy. In, in fact, I, I, I then, out of that verse, I came up with a definition for you. That joy is a settled confidence that God loves me and that God is in control. Amen. It's a settled confidence. You know what? One thing I know, like the world might not make sense today. 
My boss might not make any sense today. My, my spouse, oh, not making sense today. My kids, definitely not making sense. But I have a settled confidence that the Lord loves me and he's in control. I have a settled confidence that the Lord loves me and he's working all things out for my good. I have a settled confidence that the Lord loves me and he has a purpose on my life. His blessing, his favor is upon my life. His hand is upon my life. I have a settled confidence that God is good every single moment of every single day of my entire life. I have a settled confidence and you have to choose that because there will be days, listen new song, there will be days where you don't feel that. And on those days, you have to choose that. No, I have a settled confidence. This might be a bad day, but I have a settled confidence that God loves me and he's in control. Jensen Franklin says, I've taught you this. Your worst day is always better with Jesus. I've got a settled confidence that God loves me and he is in control. You know, Chris Hodges says, choices lead, feelings follow. And he's right. You know what I've discovered in my own life? So I'm not speaking on behalf of any, I'm just speaking from me. That every time that I choose joy, that there are days where I don't feel it, but I choose it anyway. And then the feelings follow. The feelings will follow, but choices lead. See, my joy is not only from God, but my joy is found in God. And I have a settled confidence that he loves me and he's in control. Do you? Do you? And if you say, yeah, I do, that's the beginning of joy in your life. That's the beginning of this true joy that you can experience even on your worst day, you can still have hope. Even on your worst day, even on your worst day, you still, you still have the light of life lighting up your world and lighting up your mind because you are filled with joy even on your worst day. See, joy is not temporary. It doesn't go in and out. Your joy is not based upon your car or your clothes or your house. Your, 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 joy, is not, your, your, your joy is not based upon, well, if I only dated this person, then that, boy, my life would be perfect. Come on. And for, for all those people, you've heard me say this, for all those people who, you know, I've, I've, I've counseled people for 30, almost 30 years now, loads and loads of premarital counseling. And, and, and you know, people, people in this generation, they just repeat what's on television. Have you ever noticed that? Whatever's on television is what they repeat. It's the weirdest thing. So people come into my office, and I've heard this multiple times. Oh, pastor, he just completes me. <laughs> Like, you know what? You are so naive, right? How many married people know what I'm talking about, right? Come on, get your hands up. You know what I'm talking about. Like, like oh, he completes me. She just completes me. Well, first of all, you're just repeating what you heard on TV. And the second thing of only, only my heavenly father completes me. If I was, if, and I love, no, I don't know that anybody in this room has a better relationship with their spouse than Jennifer and I have. I mean, this, this past 10 days that she's been gone, 10 days tomorrow, I have missed her completely. But she does not complete me. 
God makes me whole. And, and I'm thinking about some people here who know exactly what I'm talking about, that they, they, that they lost their spouse. So what happens when you lose a spouse? Can you still have joy? Absolutely. Because, because our Heavenly Father completes us. And I, I'm, I'm seeing that in the life of my mother, actually. You know, my dad passed away several years ago now. And you know, my mom, she grieves. There's a time for grief. Did you know that? There's a time for crying. There's a, I still cry every now and then over my dad. It just comes on me out of nowhere. I miss him so very, very much. But I still have joy in my life. My, my heavenly father completes me. He makes me whole. You see what I'm saying? So I don't, I've learned I don't depend on others to, for my wholeness. Others will let you down. No, I, can, I depend on my God for wholeness. This one thing I know, I have settled confidence that he loves me and that he's in control. He's working all things out for my good. And I'm joyful in that. Doesn't mean I don't have bad days, but my joy is secure in Christ Jesus. You know, I, I, I was praying about this moment, saying, Lord, how do you want me to end this? And, and God really... I really felt the Lord bring me to Isaiah 61, and I'm going I'm to give you a little overview first. That Jesus, in the New Testament, we find he's in, he's in the temple, he's in a synagogue, and he's, he's asked to share the word. He's asked to teach that day as a rabbi would. And he's handed a scroll, and it's Isaiah, and it's actually Isaiah 61, what we're about to read right now. And he's, he's in the temple, and he's reading these words. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me and has anointed me to preach good news. And, and then he, at the end of it, he says, and today this is fulfilled in your hearing. So if, let me ask it this way. If, let me say it this way. If there was a job description in the Bible, if I were to walk around person to person and hand you the microphone and say, I want you to give the job description of Jesus, a lot of you would say, uh, to die on the cross. Well, that's part of it, certainly. Many would say, uh, to, to seek and save those who are lost. Definitely, that's, that's part of it. Can I tell you the best job description of the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that actually he admitted in front of all of the religious leaders when he was quoting Isaiah 61. It's the job description of our Savior, Isaiah 61. Isaiah prophesied about it, and it, it, it goes like this, verse one. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And, and he's not talking about the financially poor. He's talking about the spiritually poor. He's talking about those who are not in right relationship with their heavenly father. And he's saying, hey, hey I've come to proclaim the good news. How many know that we, that we are part of the good news? We, we have embraced the gospel of grace. We have been saved by grace through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. It's not about our goodness, it's about his goodness. That's good news, everybody. That everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. That's good news. That's what Jesus came to proclaim. He goes on, he says, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Like, hey, God is going to come in. He's going to light up your life. And he's going to bring freedom to you. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor 
and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. I'm going to stop right there because a lot of people struggle with this. It says, it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God. Can I tell you that vengeance is not against the followers of Jesus Christ. That vengeance is actually against the enemy of followers of Jesus. It's actually against the enemies of God himself. God is saying, listen, I'm going to win. No enemy can stand against me and survive. That's what he's saying. In fact, I can prove that to you because look what it's, you always look at context of scripture. Watch what he says. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to declare, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. So he's talking about favor, he's talking about comfort, and he's talking about provision. He's also in there, the vengeance of our God. He's talking about protection. That's what he's talking about. And he says, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of joy. That's what we're talking about today. Instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. This is the job description of Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm going to take away your despair and I'm going to give you joy. Let, let me say this. I've taught you this, that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power to love and a sound mind. I've told you that fear is actually a spirit. It's a demonic spirit. And it, and it opposes the people of God. And we're not meant to be involved in the spirit of fear, but a power to love and a sound mind. Well, here we have in Jesus' job description, Isaiah 61, that we're not meant to endure, endure a spirit of despair. The King James Version says, a spirit of heaviness, a spirit of discouragement. Hey, can I tell you something? That's demonic in nature. And I'm not, I'm not saying you're possessed. I, I'm saying you're be, if you're discouraged, you're being attacked by the enemy. You have a very real enemy who wants to steal your joy. But Jesus said, no, no, no. I've come to give you a garment of praise. I've come to give you the oil of joy instead of mourning, instead of grief in your life. He said, they will be called the oaks of righteousness and a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. In verse 4, most people stop at verse 3, but listen to the verse 4. They, we, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated, and they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated, watch this, for generations. So God is saying this, he's, he's, you know, we, we build our church on four things. We, everything we do can be found in this statement that we want to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. Every single thing that God wants to do in your life is found in one of those, in one of those four areas. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. Did you know that all four of those are seen right here? In his, it's, it's the job description of Jesus, Isaiah 61. Jesus, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. The spirit of the sovereign God is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news. I just want people to know God. And then he goes on to say, and by the way, I want to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. How many know that we not only want to know God, but we're meant to find freedom. It's the, it's the purpose of God upon your life. He also wants us to discover, to discover our purpose. You say, well, where is that in that portion of Scripture? Watch this. To, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And what he's saying is, he's saying, listen, before, before you knew me, you were living life in, in the trash heap. But in fact, 
You are a treasure. I'm moving you from the trash heap to being a treasure. I am redeeming your life from the pit. And I'm crowning you with love and compassion. I'm satisfying your desires with good things, the psalmist says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. I mean, God, it's a, it's a, it's a transfer from, the, from giving into the schemes of the enemy to, to obeying the call of God, the purpose of God, discovering who you are in God and actually living it out in your life. It's an exchange to discover your purpose. See, when you come to Christ, you come to Christ, you know God, you're, you're finding freedom, and then you realize, wow, I was made on purpose for a purpose, and my purpose isn't to live a life of despair. My purpose is to live a life of joy in Jesus Christ. But I don't have to live a life of despair or heaviness. No, I can live a life of joy in Jesus. To discover your purpose. Discover how to live life. And then to make a difference. That's verse 4. He says, by the way, when you walk this way, when you find God, when you find freedom, when you discover your purpose, you're going to do some things that you never thought. You're going to see some things that you never thought possible. That there are going to be ancient ruins that are restored. That the, that the enemy has been tearing you and your family apart, but you're going to see restoration take place. In fact, he goes on to say, everybody, that what has been devastated for generations, he's going to do the miraculous. That, that everybody, for those of you who are praying for the next generation, and that you've come to Christ. Maybe you came out of a very difficult family line and you've come to Christ and there are just some things that God has broken in your life, sin that he's broken in your life, that actually it's not only making a difference in your life, but it's going to make a difference in the generations to come behind you. That you live the life that God has called you to, and I'm telling you, it'll have a generational effect. Instead of a generational curse, it'll turn into a generational blessing. That's what he's saying. Like, you'll not only benefit from this, but your family, your children, and your children's children, and their, their children beyond that, they're going to benefit from it too. How many want to lay claim to that promise today right there? That I, I want the blessings of God upon my generations, not just my generation. I'm going to have the blessing of God not only on my children, but my children's children, and, and keep going for multiple generations until the Lord returns. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. It's right there in the job description of Jesus. I tell you this, Jesus does not want you to live a life of despair. He wants you to have a settled confidence that knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves me and God is in control. God loves me and he's working all things out for my good. Therefore, I can smile today. I can laugh today. I have joy today because it's found in God and it's also from God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for your, we praise you, Lord, <laughs> for your word, for truth, for joy in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Could we just stand up together? I, I'm going to end this service differently, a little bit differently than the other services, but if you're in need of joy in your life or if you already have some joy in your life, could we just take a moment and could, could we just take a moment and say thank you to our God that joy is found in him? Come on, as we praise him, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. 
Did you know that? In his presence, there is fullness of joy. The Bible says we are in the presence of our God and joy can be experienced right here, right now. You have to choose it. And I'm going to ask you, let's just lift up our hands for a moment and let's express our gratitude to our Heavenly Father. Thank you, Father, for joy that comes from you and is found in you. I thank you, Lord, that I don't have to produce my own joy. That's that's impossible for me to do. I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. But I thank you, Lord, that you are my joy. You are my life. You are my hope. You're my deliverer. You're my healer. You're my provider. You're a strong tower in times of trouble. You're a very present help. Father, you're everything to me. You're everything that I long for. You're everything that I desire. You're everything that I need in my life and my joy is found in you and in you alone. Father, forgive me for the times that I thought joy was found in other things or other people when all along my joy was found in you and comes from you. And I praise you, Father, that joy is mine in the name and by the power of Jesus Christ. Joy belongs to me as a follower of Jesus Christ. So today I choose it. I accept it and receive it in my life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk my life. I'm going to live my life with a settled confidence that you love me and you're in control, that you're working all things for my good. I take it today by faith. The promises of God belong to me as a child of God, and I thank you for it. And I receive it today in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now, with nobody still looking around, I'm going to ask a question today. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I'm telling you, joy is found in God before it's found from God. And I would, I would so encourage you today what the Bible says, that every single person who calls on the name of the Lord for salvation shall be saved. And today, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. It's, it's actually, you'll go public when you get baptized. And we have a baptism service coming up a few weeks from now. But today is a, a personal decision. It's a decision that you make to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. I promise you, he is the only way to heaven. He's the only way to our Heavenly Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he'll save you right now. He'll set you free. He'll make you a new creation right now if you just ask him. He promises that in his word. And it's a trusting in in the goodness of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the fact that he bore your sins on the cross so that you wouldn't have to die and pay for, for your sins. It's also repentance. It's saying, I don't want anything to do with, with sin. It separated me from God. It's a repenting of your sins. It's two sides of the same coin. And if you're ready, with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask you, if you're ready to make Jesus the Lord of your life, would you raise your hand up really high? Just let me know who you are. All right. I see those hands. Okay, you can put your hands down. Is there anybody else? And I'm going to pray a prayer. You raised your hand. I'm so proud of you. God is so, God is so proud of you today. I am too. It's a prayer so simple. It's not a matter of the words. It's not magic words. It's a matter of the heart where you say, Jesus, today I confess you are Lord. Today I make you my Lord. I come to you in repentance in all sincerity to the best of my ability. Lord, today I repent of my sins. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness, everything that I've ever done wrong. Wash me clean. Lord, I want to experience what the pastor is talking about today. I want to be made new. 
So today I'm surrendering my life to you to the best of my ability, the best I know how. I'm surrendering my life to you and I'm asking you for help. Not only for salvation, but to help me live a life that truly follows you. I want to be, and I choose to be today, a follower of Jesus Christ. I choose you. Now, according to your word, I've been saved by grace through faith because everybody who calls upon you for salvation, you always say yes. And I thank you for saying yes to me. Thank you for calling me to yourself. And today I accept your salvation and I will never be the same again. And I declare it in Jesus' name. If you believe that and prayed that today or prayed it in the past, can you say a big amen? Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, there were six more people. Can we give it up for the six people who just gave their life to Jesus? If you prayed that prayer, go to guest services. We just ordered another case of these books. It's called Fresh Start. It'll, It'll just help you build a strong foundation in your life for following Jesus. So go to guest services, pick one of these up. I want to tell you something, New Song. God is on the move. God is on the move, not just here at New Song, but really around the country. Let's not miss out on what God is doing. Don't miss a Sunday. Next Sunday is going to be powerful as we continue the series. This is love. Remember, one invitation can change a life. So invite somebody to New Song next Sunday morning. I'll see you then. God bless you guys. I love you. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life And we would love to continue on that journey with you. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org slash contact. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones who God is using to make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for watching. We hope you tune in next week.